Today, again, if you have your Bibles open, Matthew 15, we'll read our text in just a moment. We continue our series on the victorious Christian, and uh, I want to talk to you about victorious faith. The Bible says, without faith, I bet you can fill that in, without faith it is impossible, what, to please God. Let me add something there. This isn't in Scripture, but it is the result of faith, and that is without faith it's also impossible to experience God. It's, it's impossible to please him without faith, but it's also impossible to, to experience him without faith. And uh, all of us, for all of us, the truth is that to be a victorious Christian, you're going to have to, to live by faith. As I mentioned, Bob had told me back in, uh, in our meeting, he said, the messages on faith, on faith were the messages that were so important to us realizing we had to step out in faith. The truth is all of us at some point in time in our life, we have to step out in faith. If we're going to, uh, if we're going to be obedient, if we're going to, that's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight because faith causes us to have to take steps that sometimes our sight would never lead us upon. And there are going to be times in all of our lives that we have to step out by faith. Now, to us, it feels a little unnerving, but it's not unnerving to God. It's actually God saying, okay, as you take the steps of faith that I lead you on, then I can take you where I have designed to take you. Victorious faith understands this. St. Augustine, one of the church fathers, said this. He says, God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason, but the very limits of our reason make faith a necessity. And A.W. Tozer said this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. And so today, let's look at a story in the New Testament that I think that illustrates and teaches us what victorious faith really looks like. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read from chapter 15 of Matthew's gospel, beginning in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Father, thank you again for the truth of your word, for another a story, Father, that uh, teaches us what it means to follow you, what faith and victorious faith look like. And I pray that today, Father, you will enlighten us, you will convict us, you will transform us, and God, from your word, you will enlighten us to what it means to be people of victorious faith. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God, my rock, and my Redeemer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Now, here's the setting uh, of this particular story. Jesus has been at the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, 
And it says that he left that area. He left the area of the Sea of Galilee, and he journeyed to the northwest region of Israel near the Mediterranean coast, Tyre and Sidon. That's where it is located. This was Gentile territory. And because it was Gentile territory, it was rare. There was something unusual if you found Jews in this particular area because it was considered extremely unclean by the Jews. And so they, they had to have some unique reason to go there, and they rarely, if ever, traveled through that region. But Jesus never went anywhere without a purpose, did he? And so he leads his disciples from the Sea of Galilee, and they go to Tyre and Sidon there because Jesus knows what is ahead. And by the way, this was going to be beneficial to this woman, but it was going to be beneficial to the disciples too because Jesus is not going to bring something good to the woman. He's also going to bring something good to his followers. He's going to teach them something uh, through this uh, trip. And he's going to use this encounter with the woman uh, to demonstrate the power of faith, this woman who really became uh, somewhat of a faith beggar, if you will, her daughter was demon-possessed, and she was a desperate lady, wasn't she? And so against that, I want to show you four things about victorious faith that we learned from this, this uh, Canaanite uh, woman. The first I want you to see is faith's desperation. Faith's desperation, it's illustrated to us in the verses 22 and 23 where it says this Canaanite woman who was from that region, look at this, underline this, and was crying. Krazo is the Greek word, and it means to scream or to yell loudly. This wasn't, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, hey, could you see me? She's screaming out, Jesus, Jesus. I mean, it's the kind of thing that everybody is, is looking at her. This woman is uh, calling out to Jesus, and she's crying out to him because she knew he could do what nobody else had been able to do. The Reuters News Service carried a story a couple of years back about a young man named Mark Smith. Mark Smith was a 33-year-old lecturer at Cambridge University, and as a hobby, he liked to kayak. And so he was kayaking. In the treacherous waters off the coast of southern England, and his kayak capsized. It turned over, he couldn't get it righted. He's clinging to this in these uh, heavy waters, he's clinging to this kayak, and the only thing that he could think to do, or you might say his first instinct, was to pull his cell phone to, uh, out and call his father. Mind you, his father, Alan Smith, was at work in Dubai training British troops there. He was 3,500 miles away. But his 33-year-old son, clinging to that kayak, calls his dad and says, here's what's going on. Here's, here's my problem. He says, don't you worry about it, son. I'll take care of it. His dad hung up, and he called the, the Coast Guard. Uh, the, there happened to be an installation less than a mile from where the young man was, was trying to just stay afloat in those waters and on that kayak. And within 12 minutes, a helicopter retrieved the, the boy from the water. 3,500 miles away, his dad said, I got this. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, God's, uh, God's near us. He's right around us. And yet he wants us, our first instinct to be what? To call on him. Sometimes we kind of treat that as the last resort. You say, well, gosh, if I'm turned over in the water, I might call 911 or, or something like that. But he called his dad. Friend, I want to ask you something. Do, 
Do you understand how important it is in those moments of crisis to first lift up your eyes and your mouth to the Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ? He has everything you need in your situation. This woman was crying out to Jesus because she knew that Jesus could do what no one else could do for her. And she was desperate to talk with him and to let him know what was going on in her life. And her desperation caused her to do two things, all right? Get this. It caused her, first of all, to overcome her concern about what people might think. I think sometimes we miss out on the opportunity for Jesus to respond to us because we're worried about what other people may think. Well, if I, you know, they may think I'm a little nutty if I, if I say, well, I'm trusting Jesus, I'm calling on Jesus. And, and this woman didn't care. She is desperate. And in her desperation, she is crying out, the Bible says, crying out to God. She doesn't care what people around her thought. And the reason I told you what that word means is because if a person is screaming out, it gets the attention of everybody, doesn't it? Everybody starts looking around. In fact, the disciples started looking around. And did you see what the disciples did? They said, Jesus, do you want us to go over and shut her up? Do you want us to send her away? Do you want us to go over and tell her that you're bugging Jesus? She wasn't bugging Jesus. There's something going on here. But the disciples, all they thought about, don't, don't bother him. Don't, don't bother him. And the woman didn't care. There's another incident. Do you remember the other incident? The centurion uh, and his servant was sick, and he cried out to God. He kept crying out to Jesus, and the same thing happened. That, that account is told over in the Gospel of Luke, and the same thing happened. And when he's crying out, guess what happens? They start going, well, uh, Jesus, we'll go, we'll go shut him up. We'll go shut him up. He's a distraction. Uh, listen, this woman didn't care. The disciples might have been annoyed, but Jesus was not. And she got Jesus' attention. Her desperate faith overcame her fear of what people might think. And I want to tell you, there may be some of you here today, and you're, you're facing something, you're dealing with something, and you need to cry out to God, and you need to quit worrying about what everybody else might think of you as you pursue Jesus for his touch on your life. I'll tell you something else that her desperation caused her to do. Not only did it cause her to overcome her concern about what people think? It caused her to pursue Jesus wherever he went. Notice this. It says, the disciples say, she is crying out after us. The idea is that she didn't just, Jesus wasn't just passing by and she called out to him. It is that Jesus, here, Jesus is, is working uh, himself around in this region and she's, wherever he goes, she goes. Wherever he goes, she goes. She's not giving up. She's not quitting. She's not stopping. She's not shutting up. It teaches us that her desperate faith dominated her behavior. She aggressively followed Jesus. She pursued him with all her heart. Now, I don't mean she was a groupie following Jesus. There were some that did. There were people that were like groupies. They just followed him because they were always looking for something that he would give them, but she is desperate, and she wants the, his touch on her daughter, and so she's following him everywhere he goes, and you know what? God honors, when, uh, honors it when we pursue him with all our heart. That's what she's doing. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what she's doing, and that's why she's 
unashamed of what other people will think about her, and she's determined to follow Jesus until Jesus hears and responds. There's, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow. Have you, you read that story before in the Gospels? And he says, uh, because of their persistence, because of the persistence. And, and, uh, and so that's what this woman is doing. She's desperate, and she's pursuing Jesus. And so what we learn is that faith's desperation isn't worried about what people think, and it doesn't stop pursuing Jesus for help. And I want to tell you this morning, there are some people just give up. Have you given up? Have you called on the Lord and said, well, he hadn't responded to me. Now think about it. If she had, a, if she had a done that, she'd have missed uh, her daughter being delivered. Have you done that? Have you given up? There, are there people watching by live stream, television, listening by radio today, sitting in this live audience, and you've just kind of quit? You quit pursuing Jesus. You did for a while, but Jesus doesn't seem to be going. By the way, you know there's spiritual warfare going on when you pursue Jesus. Did you know that? We don't have time to talk about that, but we look at it in the book of Daniel. And so, but, but there are a lot of people who just quit. They just give up. They say, well, I, I tried. He, he, just, he just didn't come through for me. I guess it's not what he wants to do. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. She didn't. And Jesus may sometimes say, I'm going to see if you really will pursue me. I've got what you need, but you must not quit. The second thing I want you to notice is not only uh, faith's desperation, but I want you to see faith's adoration. Verse 25 says that she came and knelt before, knelt before him. Now, the Greek word for kneel here is proskuneo. And it is the word from which we get our English word uh, prostrate. And it is the idea literally of falling down before. This is an act of, of adoration that she brings before Jesus. She came and she fell down for her. Literally, the word means to throw a kiss towards someone as an expression of respect or adoration. Victorious faith is a faith that worships Christ. It is a faith that understands that Jesus is, listen, he's more than just my fixer. He is my master and my Lord. He's not just my fixer. He is the fixer. He's the great fixer. Amen? But he's more than the fixer. And her bowing before him is a recognition that he is more than just the fixer. He is worth worship. And he is, uh, he is the Lord. And she refers to him as Lord. And her faith resulted in two things. It resulted in this kind of uh, adoration. Uh, this kind of worship, and it is a recognition of his divinity. He is God. Judson Cornwall uh, writes and says, Worship helps us find who we are and why God has placed us here on the earth. Worship helps us do that. When we bow in God's presence with, uh, in worship, only then are we made complete. Isn't that interesting? So it's not just bowing to say, please fix me. It is bowing to say, I know who you are. By the way, I bow before you even if you don't fix it. I recognize who you are even if you don't fix it. I bow before you because you are Lord. Her faith resulted in worship. Her faith also resulted in submission. Kneeling before him expressed her submission to his authority. Too many people... To many people, Jesus is nothing. To, to some people, Jesus is something. But to a few people, Jesus is everything. To some people, Jesus is something. And 
To many people, Jesus is nothing, but to a few people, Jesus is everything. And this act of kneeling before him was an act of submission. It was an act of recognition of her own helplessness, of his lordship, and of his sufficiency. It has been said that when you have nothing left but God, then you become aware that God is enough. Do you get that? When you have nothing left... When you have nothing left but God, then you learn that God is enough. So here we learn that faith's adoration leads us to worship Christ. It causes us to submit ourselves to his lordship. But here's a third thing that I want you to notice this morning, and that is faith's determination. It's desperation, faith's adoration, but faith's determination Where do we see it? Verses 26 and 27. The woman says, Jesus said, don't you know that that, um, the bread is intended for the children? And she makes this remarkable statement. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that are left over from the children. Now, you see, not only was this woman desperate, she was also determined, wasn't she? Now, Jesus' response may seem a little harsh when people read that and say, wow, Jesus was kind of, I thought Jesus was, would be a little more compassionate to this, this woman. This is a little bit harsh, but this, is, this conversation is not given as an insult to the Gentiles, those who are outside of the, the Jewish community. Jesus not saying there's nothing for you. This is not him insulting her. The Greek word, canarian, for dog, means a little dog. There's another word in the Greek for dog that means like a big dog. But this is the word for little dog. And it's interesting because it's another way just saying for a a lap dog. Uh, and, And so the woman says even the little dogs, even the lap dogs get to eat the crumbs. And, um, and by the way, the little dogs in the house, even in that area, era, we're told, were uh, often allowed to eat the scraps or the remains or the leftovers from their master's plates. The difference is between the, uh, sharing with the children the full meal at that moment and the leftover. The leftovers were enough for the lap dog. The fact is the woman's answer actually confirms that, that she knew exactly what Jesus meant. When she said, even the lap dogs get to eat crumbs. Well, we understand that at our house, do you? We have a little lap dog. It's a 13 year old Yorkie. She weighs three pounds. She's fully blind. And uh, she has always, there's been one characteristic of her always, and that is that. Uh, she has to touch one of us. If, she, if we're sitting, she has to touch one. She has to make contact with us. And if she makes contact, then she's fine. But she has to touch uh, somebody, me or my wife. And, and she's just she's this big. I mean, she curls up. She's about the size of a bagel. And, um, and as I said, she's become blind in the last uh, year. And so my wife worries about her more than ever before. And, um, and so... Uh, Allison worries about her eating. She's not eating enough. She's not eating enough. And so, um, so she feeds her. She feeds her. If Allison, if my wife has toast and jelly, our little dog gets toast and jelly. 
which has become one of her favorites. If Allison has chicken, our little dog gets chicken. If we have salmon, the little dog gets salmon. You know, you know and, and, and just my wife does that. No, I do it too. This little lap dog getting just the little leftovers, the little crumbs uh, here or there. Um, whatever we have, she gets. Do you get it? That's what this lady was saying. In the culture of the day she was living in, she was saying, like, I'm like a little lap dog. But any crumbs that you could give me will be sufficient for me. And by the way, because our dog is so small, you know, the little bitty leftovers that we give her are sufficient for her. So what do we learn about this kind of victorious faith? Well, we learn that victorious faith has a right perspective of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take, we, we have the right perspective when we, like this woman, say, it doesn't take much, Jesus. Just a little bit. Just a little bit from you is, is enough. Just a little bite. I think about Luke 17, 5 and 6 that says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, you know, you've heard this, I'm sure, before from preachers through the years, but mustard seeds were proverbially small and, and essentially considered about the smallest thing that you could, you could think of in terms of producing any kind of a plant. It's the tiniest seed in the garden. It was not the kind of thing that was considered a field crop. It was a herb. And yet a mustard plant can itself grow to over 10 feet tall. Uh, Jesus used that as an illustration of little faith that can result in huge things, in a huge outcome. And Jesus is making that point to her. And she said, just a little from you, I've got faith, and, and my faith believes that whatever you do can produce something great. Victorious faith keeps the right perspective on Jesus. You know this, that Jesus with just a breath, he can fix, he can make, he can do whatever he wants. Think about it. Jesus could just say, you, he, he could say, uh, wh what's the deal here? It's done. I mean, that's who Jesus is. You realize that? And just a little, and he said, all I need is a little faith from you. You remember the man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so Jesus just takes a little bit, and then with a little bit of faith and a little bit from Jesus, something great happens. And that's what this woman's saying. Look, I, I'm not asking for all the food. I'm just asking God for just a little bit because I understand who you are and what you can do. Uh, it also... It also teaches us that victorious faith is not only uh, 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 characterized by the right perspective of Jesus, it is also unshakable. Her faith was steadfast. She firmly believed that Jesus would help her. Her faith was unshakable. She could have been offended, right? When Jesus said that, say, no, I'm, I, this food is for them. She could have been offended by that, and she could have said, all this, I've been seeking you, all the things I've heard about you, and, and, and all that I've witnessed, and the, the times that I've seen from a distance what you've done, and yet this is how you answer me? Okay, Jesus. And she could have walked away offended or angry. She could have let her pride get in the way, but instead she was 
characterized by her faith. And her faith was full of determination. But listen, her faith was full of determination because she had great expectations of Jesus. And because it was unshakable, rather than walk away angry, instead instead she responded with genuine humility. And she continued to express her faith. And she treated Jesus as the good shepherd that he is. And so she continued to ask unshakably. I'm going to keep asking, Lord, I know, I know how the system is supposed to work, but would you just give me the crumbs? Could I just have the, 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 the little bit? You know, pride would have said, don't beg. Don't beg Jesus. Just go away. You know, remember, he's a Jew You're a Gentile. You're a Canaanite. Uh, He doesn't want to have anything to do with you. But this was a test. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a moment. And so instead, she swallows her pride. She swallows her pride, and she says to Jesus, you can do for me what I need. Pride often is the enemy of victorious faith. Pride can cause us to stop asking God. Pride can cause us to stop seeking Jesus. And pride can keep us from finding what Jesus has for us. Humility is an asset to victorious faith. It just takes a lower place and it just persists. It just keeps on keeping on and keeps on asking. And that leads to the last thing that I want you to see this morning, and that is faith's restoration. Faith's restoration. Verse 28, Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. This woman was rewarded with restoration, the restoration of her daughter. Because it says, did you notice, and, and her daughter was healed instantly. She was rewarded. That was the reward of this persistent, this determination, this desperation, this adoration. It resulted in her daughter being healed and delivered. I quote Augustine again. I mentioned him at the beginning, but he said this. Listen, faith is to believe what we do not see. And the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. This is only the second Gentile, by the way, to ever hear those words from Jesus. Did you know that? I mentioned him earlier. It was the centurion about his servant. Uh, I haven't seen this kind of faith before. This is only the the second time a Gentile had been told this. This woman is told, uh, great is your faith. And it's interesting because Jesus often lamented the, the little faith that he encountered along the way. Even among his disciples, in chapter 8 of Matthew, uh, uh, we, we see Jesus uh, refer to the disciples as uh, men of little faith. And then in chapter 14, in verse 31, just over a few verses, uh, Jesus rebukes Peter for his uh, lack of faith. So what do we learn from this restoration and this woman's faith and this faith restoration, you might say. Well, we learned that victorious faith is a tested faith. Jesus wants to know how much you and I really trust him. And that's what's going on here. This woman's faith is being tested. You know, God will sometimes see, are you going to really trust me and pursue me? 
I have what you need, and I'm taking you on a journey. And he's trying to teach the disciples the importance of persistent faith, and he's trying to teach the disciples that, that sometimes their faith is going to be tested. Have you ever had your faith tested? I bet you have. I don't have time. I think about a story immediately in my own life where, where God really challenged me and my faith was tested. Am I really going to believe him? Am I really going to trust him? And by the way, the only time you know how to really express faith is in those moments when you have to t- put your eyes upon Jesus. You see, when you're not being stretched, when you're not uh, dealing with some crisis or some decision, guess what happens? You, it doesn't require a lot of faith, does it? The faith requirement uh, uh, kicks in when you and I are being stretched, when we're facing something that we don't have the answers to, and we're going to have to look to God uh, as our source. Victorious faith is a tested faith. In Genesis 22 and verse 1, it says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. It says God tested Abraham, and then he called to him, Abraham. And you know what Abraham said in in response? He said, Here I am. God tested him. And by the way, God didn't tell Abraham on front. The writer tells us that God tested him, but it didn't say, and God told Abraham, here's a test. Here's a test. No, no, Abraham didn't know. God just called him. So God tested him. God said, I've got this purpose, this plan. This is what's going on. There's going to be a test, but I'm not telling Abraham But let's see if Abraham will trust me. Well, we know how that story turned out. Victorious faith is a tested faith. This this woman's faith was being tested. That's what Jesus was doing. He was testing it to see if she really believed or was Jesus just another another, um, uh, potential solution to her problem. She tried other things, so maybe Jesus can do it. No, no, he's testing her faith, but he's also teaching his disciples. He's testing her faith, and he's teaching the disciples. And the disciples are going to need to know this, aren't they? Because when Jesus is taking, taken away into heaven, uh, they're going to have to walk by faith. And so victorious faith is a tested faith. The second thing I'd tell you is victorious faith is an asking faith. She asked Jesus to deliver her daughter. Victorious faith doesn't assume it asks. James said in chapter 4 of his letter, he said, you have not because you ask not. Now, I told you a a few moments ago in May, we're going to launch what we're calling a season of prayer. You'll hear all about the details. We're working on it in conjunction with our prayer team. Our staff is working on that. It's something the Lord put on my heart a couple of months ago, and we're working toward that. And the theme, just that that statement is, is the theme, you have not because you ask not. Victorious faith understands that it just doesn't happen. Jesus has created this process in which he wants us to come to him. He wants us, like that kayaker, to call. Jesus, I'm calling to you. Victorious faith is a faith that is not only tested, it's a faith that asks. It doesn't just assume everything uh, Jesus will just automatically do it because I belong to him. You have not because you ask not. Victorious faith is an asking faith. And then third, victorious faith is a rewarded faith. Jesus told her, because of your faith, what you have desired, he would do. 
And that reminded me of Mark, Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verse 5 and following, where it says, and, and he could not do in his own home, he could not do uh, many mighty works there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And then it says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. He could not do mighty works there. Listen, by, by as a footnote, God wants to do mighty works. God still wants to do mighty works. But he needs your faith. He could not do. Listen, that statement right there says Jesus couldn't do mighty works among them, and he marveled at their unbelief. Why? Because the component that was necessary for him to do mighty works was absent. What was the component? Faith. Their trust in him, not faith in faith. You know, we're told today, and this is, be careful with this. I saw it recently uh, illustrated in, a, um, in an interview with a, a, a personality, who, a celebrity, who said, well, I just told my child, just have faith, just believe. Now, I, I know that may sound like, well, it's better than not believing, but faith has to have an object. And Jesus is that object. And so when we say just believe, but we don't have an object of that belief, that is absolutely pointless. It's absolutely useless. And we think sometimes in this culture we live in that if I just believe in something, it doesn't matter what I believe in, that just believing in belief uh, is, is sufficient. Listen, listen, I've told you this before. I can go stand in a garage and believe that I'm a car, but that doesn't make me one right? So just believing for the sake of believing is not what God is, is about, and it's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I can't do anything unless you trust me, unless you believe in me. And this woman did. And her faith says, I haven't seen this kind of faith. And her faith was rewarded. You get the implication of the verses you get what Jesus is saying, that he wants to do mighty works, but the catalyst is your faith. Corey Ten Boom, I don't know if you know that name, it, not as familiar today as it used to be, but Corey Ten Boom uh, spent uh, years in Ravensbrück, a German prison camp with her sister. Her sister died in the prison camp, and uh, uh, they had helped hide Jews from Hitler. And at any rate, uh, her faith was strong. And afterwards, when she came out, she traveled the word, world sharing her story. And she made this statement. She said, faith sees the invisible. Well, Hebrews says that, doesn't it? Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and as a result, receives the impossible. So here is the ultimate takeaway for us all this morning. And I, I would sum it up this way. We can have a victorious faith if we practice faith in Christ, like this woman, this Canaanite woman. You want victorious faith? Read again, study again the story of this woman. Victorious faith can be ours, and victorious faith is essential to living a victorious Christian life. But victorious faith begins with saving faith. You know how we're told to walk? We're told to walk in the same kind of faith that saved us. 
Victorious faith begins with saving faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, faith is the, the extraordinary principle that links man to God. Faith is this thing that keeps a man from hell and puts him in heaven. Faith is the connection between this world and the world to come. Faith is this mystic, astounding thing that can take a man who is dead in his sin and trespasses and make him alive as a new being, a new man in Christ Jesus. It is faith in Christ that does all of this. I ask you this morning, have you put your faith in Christ? If you're not a victorious Christian, uh, you have to start here. Faith in Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith, Paul writes. Have you put your trust in him? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about and For those of you who are joining us by television and live stream, have you done that? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your saving faith to save your soul? If you haven't, you can do do exactly what I'm going to ask these people in this live audience to do. If you've never done that, you can call out to him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now, in your heart of hearts, would you just call out to him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me in spite of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, and I know that I need you. And I invite you right now to come into my life, to be my Savior, to be my Lord, to be my Master. I invite you to come in and change me and save me. I can assure you that he will hear that prayer. If you call on him today, he will hear that prayer. Today, behold, the Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. And so if you've never trusted him, or you've just been going through religious motions, why don't you change that today by trusting Christ as your personal Savior? Father, I thank you for our time together in your word. And I pray this morning, Father, that you will hear the prayers of those uh, who have called out to you. I know you will, because you've told us that as many as received you, to those you gave the right to be children of God. And so, Father, right now, hear us. And hear the calls of those who are putting their trust in you. And then, Lord, for others today in this place who have not been living with this victorious kind of faith, this desperate kind of faith, this faith that results in worship and adoration, this faith that receives, God, from you restoration, determination, Father, all of these things remind us of our part of living this victorious faith. So, Father, I pray for any that say, I need to walk in new victory. Today, they will understand the lessons from this lady and, Father, become people of great faith. Faith is the victory. Jesus, hear us. And, Father, in our walk with you, draw us, our eyes fixed to you, Father, we might experience your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning for our invitation? I'll be here at the front, and our guys will be on the aisles, and I want to encourage you to come and make your decision from the balcony or this ground floor. Maybe you prayed a prayer to trust Christ today. We'd love to help you with that. Would you slip out and come this way and just take one of us and say, here, I prayed that prayer that you offered today. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I need a church home. I have trusted Christ, but I need a church family. I'd like to belong to Ridgecrest 
Let me urge you to come and, and share that with us. And again, we'll take care of all of the details. You may need to be baptized. We, we saw these baptized this morning. There are more being baptized in the next hour. We won't baptize you at this moment, but, but we'll schedule something that works for you. You've never been baptized as a believer, though you're a believer, and you need to take care of that. Would you come? And we'll schedule that for you. Maybe, maybe you just want to come and pray around this altar. Would you come and use it this morning? Take advantage of the opportunity to seek the Lord, to bow your knee before Him. Maybe there's something you're pursuing Him about and you're crying out to Him about, and this is a place that you can come and bow your knee before Him. Would you do that? As Brother Aaron leads us, and the choir sings, I invite you to slip out from the balcony or ground floor right now. You ready? You come on.